I only have one verse, but it is a very deep verse. It is a very touching verse. It is a verse that I believe uh, will touch every heart in the sanctuary. So this morning, as we open in God's Word, we want to take a look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. God's Word says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now there's a couple of words in there that I want to clarify and I want to get a good understanding of before we even open this morning. Dissimulation. I want us to make sure we understand what dissimulation means. Dissimulation is to be without any division. To be without any distractions. To be without anything that would obscure or anything that would hinder. Next, the word abhor. Another word for abhor is the word hate. Hate that which is evil. We're going to get into that just a little bit more as the message goes on, but we need to be sure that we understand what those two words mean. And one that's probably a little easier to identify with this morning is the word cleave. And it is to embrace or it is to become a part of. To become a part of something that is good. That which is good. So when we break this verse down further, we could reread it and we could say, let love be without division or distraction. Hate that which is evil. And become part of that which is good. Very quickly, I want to draw attention to this. Paul had inspiration for writing this. And that inspiration, it comes from Psalms 34.14. I want to go there quickly. And I want to read Psalms 34.14 to you as well this morning. Because I believe this is where... uh, Paul got his inspiration for this passage. It says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So the psalmist David, in this particular psalm, he's telling us to depart from evil, to do good, and to seek peace, and to pursue that. Paul embraces that, and he moves that in his letter to the Romans in trying to communicate the perfect will of God in the life of the Christian. The perfect will of God. When I say perfect, I'm not talking about flawless and faultless. I'm talking about complete. The complete will of God in the life of the Christian. So as I open this morning, I want to share a story with you. How many of you have ever heard of Harold Begbie? He's an Englishman. He was known as the puncher because of his fighting career and because of the wild lifestyle that he lived in in London. He is known for fighting 16 famous fights and he won each one. He was also known for his drinking and for his wild living. After his fighting career had ended, he had a lot of money. He had money to burn. So he married and He bought a business and he began living a very expensive and a very extravagant lifestyle. Now his business was a business that was ran by trickery. 
It was a business that was ran by cheating and it eventually exposed him. He eventually got a very bad reputation because of this. And he lost his fame, he lost his fortune, he lost his popularity. Everything that he had, the people, people looked at him as a superb athlete. They looked at him as someone, uh, they put him on a pedestal like today, Football players are put up on pedestals and basketball players are put up on pedestals and other athletes are put up on pedestals and they're looked at as role models. But then we turn on the television one day and we find out they have been involved in some type of a doping scandal where they've taken performance enhancing drugs or they're involved in beating their wives or some type of domestic violence issues or things like that. And suddenly overnight, their popularity is gone. Their credibility is gone. That's what happened to Harold Begbie. Well, Harold Begbie was confronted by one of his children. His oldest child, as a matter of fact. His oldest child was a member of the Salvation Army in London. And he came to his father and he talked to his father. He begged his father to become a Christian. His father just laughed at him and mocked him and he, he went off and he got drunk. He woke up the next morning and he was, he was hung over. He was angry. He was, he was behaving like a caged animal. While there though, he spent time reviewing his life. He spent time regretting what he had done, regretting the intentions and Regretting his failed attempts at reforming his own life. So what happened was Harold Begbie decided to commit suicide, but first he intended to murder his wife. He intended to kill his wife. So he went out and he borrowed some money and he got into a drunken stupor and he bought a butcher knife. So his plan was he was going to go visit his wife. He was going to talk to her about a reconciliation because they were parted. And then he was going to invite her to go to a music hall with him and, and see a musical. And while there in the upper balcony, he was going to stab her and then he was going to jump to his death off the balcony. While making their way toward the music hall, they ran into another member of the Salvation Army. And he decided he knew Mr. Begbie and he knew the situation and the circumstances around him and he knew his son. And he decided to go with him and, and to go with him and make sure that his wife was going to be safe because he, he, he just didn't have a good feeling. Well, in the process, that made Harold Begbie mad. So Harold stomped away across the street, went into a bar and started drinking again. And while he was there, he had a vision. He had a vision and he saw he saw his wife after he had murdered her. He saw himself failing at suicide and walking to the hangman's noose. He saw his oldest son, the one who came to visit him, being blamed and being mocked and being ridiculed for what he had done. This vision that he saw, it broke his heart. It broke his heart. Harold Begbie 
gave his life to Jesus. Harold Begbie was sobered up. God moved him on him and cleaned him up. And Harold Begbie re- continued his life reaching out to those who were sad and sorrowful, those who were broken, those who roamed the streets in despair. Christianity changed this person. Christianity changed this person and the passage this morning begins to show us the practical applications of a Christian life. You see, what touched Harold Begbie was his son's undying love of God to reach this man who was his father, but to reach him with love. The passage that we read, let love be without dissimulation. Let it be without division or distraction. How difficult is it today to love someone that wants to be unlovable? Now think about that. Here Harold Begbie, he he didn't want to be loved. His life was full of anger. His life was full of hatred. His life was full of violence. He did not want to be loved. He, He abandoned his wife. He abandoned his children. They grew up in poverty because he would not take care of them. How do you love someone that doesn't want to be loved? There is an answer. There is an answer. We must look at the Scriptures. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, we find the story of Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to set Him up and trick Him. And what they're doing, they're asking Him, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? Now here's the catch to that. According to Jewish law, there are 613 commandments. 270, I think around 78 of them, are things that they are supposed to do. They are commandments, do this. 365 of them are commandments of things not to do. And if you're going to be a good Jew in Jesus' day, you have to memorize all 613 of these commandments and you have to understand when they apply and when they don't apply and how they apply to your life. Now the Pharisees had their list of which ones were number one. The Sadducees had their list of which ones were number one. The Ezzanines had their list of which ones were number one. And the scribes had their list of number one. So here they were putting Jesus on the spot and they were asking Him, Lord, what's number one? Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now when... When, the, when Jesus says hangs all the law and the prophets, everything that is said in the Old Testament about commandments and laws comes down to these two statements of Jesus. First of all, 
God's Word tells us specifically to love God with everything that we are. Now, it does, he didn't say to recognize God or to respect God or to obey God. He said to love God. So the question then comes to us, if we're going to understand how to love someone who just does not want to be loved, we're going to have to love God. Because think about yourself. Think about your salvation. Before you were saved, you were an unlovable person. Before you were saved, you were, you were mired down in sin. You may have led a moral life. You may have not had any type of trouble or difficulty in your life. But still, just by the sin nature, you were condemned. And because of that, you, you didn't want God. You didn't want anything to do with God. It was the Holy Spirit that came and touched your heart and stirred that up. And let you know that God wanted you. And then when you came to Him through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you experienced John 3.16 in a very personal way. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. If we, if we fall in love with God and we do it completely and holistically in our life with all of who we are, with our body, with our mind, with our soul. If we are in love with God, then we're going to be able to share that love and send it abroad. Send it to others. You see, loving someone who doesn't want to be loved isn't based on them. It's based on us. It's based on who I am. It's based on what God wants from me and what He wants to do through me. So when we then come to loving our neighbor, if we're loving God with all of who we are, if we're loving God holistically, then loving our neighbor will just fall into context. It will just be the natural thing to do. We may not agree with them, they may do things to hurt us. But still we will love them and we will forgive them and we will reach out to them with, with the gospel, with Jesus Christ. Harold Begbie could have been left alone by his family. He could have been left alone by all of the Salvation Army evangelists. He could have been left alone by his wife and Harold Begbie would have died. Harold Begbie would have died. He would have drank himself to death. He would have died in a barroom fight. Someone that he owed money to would have killed him. Harold Begbie would have died and his soul would have went to hell. And that's not what God wants from anyone. But he comes back to the Christian. And this is what Paul is really wanting the, the folks here in, in Rome to see, and he's wanting you and I to see today that there are people out there that need to be loved. There are people out there that need to be loved. 
But love is only part of what God's talking, or what the Lord is talking about. The, the other part is evil. He is talking about detesting or hating evil. What God hates. You see, Christians, we have, we not only have the right and the, and, and the okay to hate, but we also have a prescription on what we're supposed to hate. We're not supposed to hate other people. We're not supposed to hate organizations or we're not supposed to hate in things that will take away from the glory of God and for the message of the gospel. But we are to hate evil. When there's things, sin comes into your life and it moves you and it tempts you. Or when evil puts a stumbling block in front of you. Do you hate that stumbling block? Or do you hate the evil that put it there? The way you approach those things in your life and in your walk with God does so much about shaping who you are and shaping your attitude toward doing God's work and your attitude toward God working through you to be an influence in other people's lives. Let me give you an example. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 through 19. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imagination. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies. And he that sows discord among the brethren. Those are seven things that are an abomination to God. Those are not a specific list, even though there's seven of them there, but those are generally speaking things that that God hates. So if God hates them, we should likewise hate them. We should set them aside, and they should be things that we look out for in our life, not the people. The devil is going to use people. The devil is going to use you. The devil has used every one of us at some point in time in our life. And if he can get by with it, the devil's going to use us again. That's why Paul is talking to the church the way he is here with this verse. He is telling us to understand that those Things that are evil are things that God gives us directions with in His Word and He gives us instructions on how to handle them. We ought to to be able to learn and grow. The devil may get us today. He may trick us. He may trick us into, into falling for one of his schemes or he may trip us up for falling over one of his stumbling blocks. But when we realize what it is, we repent of it and we genuinely move away from it and we're no longer tied to it. We get rid of it. We learn. We grow. We, our walk with God improves. Do we love what God loves and do we hate what God hates? If you want to summarize those two sections and those two things, that's where we're coming to this morning. Do we love what God loves and do we hate what God hates? If we're going to 
live a complete will of God in our life, we're going to have to find where those areas are in our personal lives. We're going to have to find the things that the devil is using to trip us up. Maybe maybe those are acts of the flesh. Maybe there are lusts. Maybe there's jealousy. Maybe there's greed. Maybe there's envy. Maybe there's pride. Pride leads us into a lot of things, a lot of wickedness. Just because me, me, I have to, I have to admit that I've done something wrong. Not me. I wouldn't have done it if it wouldn't have been for this other person. We can justify ourselves all day long. But in the end, if we have done something wrong, if we have failed God in some way, if we have sinned against God, we need to get it out of our system. We need to get it repented of. We need to lay it under the blood of Christ. Because if we are saved today, we are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are His. We are are bought with the price. And that price sends us into the complete will of God for our lives because we are, we are the body of Christ. It is because of us and through us that other people see Jesus. That comes with salvation. That brings us to the last point. Cleave to that which is good. Or become part of or embrace that which is good. The instructions of God's word are things that is an instruction that is useful in our life. I know it's easy to take a look at the Bible and we can look at it and we can say, oh, it's just a book of do's and don'ts and haves and haves nots. But it's not. It's much more than that. This is an instruction book for life. It is an instruction book for how God loves us and how God wants us to love others, wants us to love each other, how God wants us to grow in in our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. It It is a book of useful things. It is a document that tells us how to encourage, how to strengthen, how to empower the gospel so that it is lived out through us. Today when we, when we depart, and we're going to be closing down here in just a few minutes, but when we do and we go out, we're going to be carrying the gospel with us or not. It depends on our attitude. It depends on how we embrace Jesus. Are we going to be the gospel that someone sees wherever wherever our next stop is? Whether it is at a restaurant, whether it is at Walmart, whether it is at the convenience store, whatever it may be, are they going to see Jesus? Are they going to see the love of God? Or are they going to see something different? We have... We have control of that. How does that control affect us? It affects us in our repentance. 
Maybe this morning you found where God's not the greatest love in your life. You can't love your husband or your wife until you love God. You can't love your children until you love God. You can't love any part of life until you love God. Maybe you've not found yourself in love with God this morning. Maybe you respect Him. Maybe you know Him. Maybe you realize. Maybe you realize that that, that you've known about Him and, and you've got a relationship with Him, but you just haven't been in love with Him. This morning you've got an opportunity. You can change that. You've got an opportunity to change that this morning. You can leave here in love with God. Maybe you've had a love of God, but maybe you just haven't been willing to set aside and abhor those things that are evil. Let's be honest this morning. Sometimes it's easy to jump on board that evil stuff. Somebody says something that we really don't like, and it's really simple to get defensive and let that evil jump up. Become argumentative, vindictive. I'll show them. I'll show them. If someone has broken a law or if they've broken a rule like I shared with the children earlier, then it needs to be told, it needs to be discussed, it needs to be brought out. But at the same time, carrying around a heart of unforgiveness doesn't do anything toward the love of God. It does more toward embracing the evil that we're told to detest and hate. Are we embracing the Word of God as being useful in our lives? Or is it just something we tolerate? Is it just something we tolerate? I'd like to ask for every eye Every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed as we close down this morning and close. Is there someone here who would raise their hand and say, pray for me this morning, Pastor. Pray for me. I have. I have. I've got to get closer to God. i got to love God more. i got to love Him more. I've got to detest evil. I've got to get closer to Him. Now I'm going to pray here in just a moment. If you want to, you're welcome to come join me here in the front of the church. We'll pray. We'll pray together. Maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that right now. You're free to come and join me afterwards if you want to pray. Seek God get closer to Him. What I'm saying to you is if God is dealing with your heart this morning, don't leave. Don't leave until you've dealt with that situation. Where you're sitting at this morning, if God is moving in your heart for you to deal with Him right there, right now, then you be obedient to God. He is the one that's in charge. He is the one that's in control. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we bow before you today and as we close this message and close this service, I want to ask you to examine hearts and lives, including my own today. God, do we love without any division? Do we love without any hypocrisy? Do we love without anything that's going to separate us? Is it? Do we? Is our love based upon what we're going to gain in return, or is it a total love of giving and understanding and caring? Do we love God first with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? God, are we approaching evil the way you want us to approach evil today? Heavenly Father, I, I think that we've all got work to do in these areas. God, I pray that you would open eyes and hearts and minds this morning. I pray that you would show us each and, each and every one where we fall short. And Heavenly Father, I do pray that as we depart, we will depart with a heart of wanting to embrace that and become part of that which is good. That we would embrace your word as being useful to our lives and being a guidepost in our life, a lamppost to a relationship with you through Jesus Christ that we just could not have without him. Lord, I thank you for each one that came this way. I thank you for each one that has braved the cold and the wind today. Lord, I pray a special blessing for them. I pray that you would surround them, build a hedge about them, give them traveling grace as they move on to their afternoon and to wherever their next appointed place may be. Heavenly Father, lead, guide, and direct us in everything we do and say. We'll be careful to praise, honor, and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.